0: So if people really want to get behind a sustainable movement, then it's about you know making quality products and that the consumers are also reciprocating in the way that they're saying, I will buy your product. It might cost me three times more than the fast fashion, but I will buy your product because I know it's made out of sustainable materials because you've told me so.
1: Welcome to Mindful Business Founder, the podcast for fashion business founders seeking to build a meaningful and profitable business. I'm Liki Tang, and I'm here with you today to find out how mindful founders build strong businesses that deliver value to people and to the planet. Today's episode is the second part of the conversation with Tammy Van Dench, founder and CEO of The ReFoundry. If you've missed the first part, you still can go ahead with this episode and go back to the first part later. Timmy is a social entrepreneur with a focus on recycled plastics. The mission of The Refoundry, the company she founded, is to make great and useful products with recycled plastics and to create a demand for this material that would otherwise go to landfill. If you want to improve your understanding of how you could better manage the business side of your mission-driven company, you will definitely enjoy listening to this episode. In this second part of our conversation, Tammy will share with us some very interesting concepts and strategies, ranging from the cash flow requirement of a product based business model to the design and the life cycle of the product, among many other useful ideas and concepts. Stay tuned and enjoy the rest of our conversation with Tammy van Dench. A bit curious about the um, cash requirement because I have no idea about how it works in your industry. But in the fashion industry, capital investment and cash flow, in particular, is is um, quite a difficult uh, subject to manage, especially because you need to invest in the prototype, which is um, where you are now. But then you also need to invest in a lot of money in the production, and the more business you have, the more cash you need? Because uh, you, I believe, but you'll tell me if, if it's the case for you, I believe that you need to invest in the next production. So the higher the, your sales is, the higher money you would need.
0: Yeah, for sure. The, the difference between the fashion industry and the, the like injection molding manufacturing industry is the amount of capital required up front is significantly different. So I can get, like I told you, there's another product line I'm looking at that Um, will require recycled polyester and you know you can get a sample you know a lot of times you can get a sample of the material for free you can order a minimum quantity of say 100 units sometimes less depending on who the manufacturer is and and that might be a thousand dollar investment perhaps depending on what you're making right Mm. for my industry to make one product just the prototype let's say it cost me $8,000 for the very first product, just for a prototype. Okay. okay. So if I wanted a sample of that particular product, it was so complex, it cost me $8,000 to get it. And then if I want one product made, I have to get that steel mold made unless I'm doing it. Like the 3D printing industry, unfortunately, is still not up to scratch with units in terms of doing, being able to make mass production units for a reasonable price but also to make it out of recycled materials. So 3D printing is still not quite there for me in terms of a process. So the investments I'm looking at, and you know, instead of a $1,000 investment, you're looking at a $100,000 investment, which, which is obviously hard. And then the products to continue to make the same product is actually you know, so much cheaper than just getting the first one out the door. But cash flow definitely will be an issue. Like any products-based business, cash flow will always be an issue. It's why so many people will go to service-based businesses first, because you get a product out the door you know, right away. You have cash flow coming in right away. But the problem with a service-based business is that it's harder to scale. So if I do a service-based business, i got to be there. i got to put in every hour to get one hour back and, or hire someone else to do the exact same thing. In a product-based business, if you can get it right, which is always a gamble, but if you can get it right, then you can actually scale it where I don't have to physically be anywhere. I can run the business from any place in the world and I could still be bringing in dollars while I'm sleeping and outsource a lot of the extra work that's required. So it it is harder to get it started as a product-based business, whether it's fashion or the types of things I'm making, but if you can get it off the, off the ground, and you create a demand for that product by solving a problem or, or creating a desirable product that people want to wear, then you can scale it a lot faster than you can a service-based business. So that's why investors are you know they're interested in IT-type projects. They're interested in product-based businesses more so than investing in a service-based business because of the fact that you can scale it much faster. You know, like, that's, that's just the way all product-based businesses are. It, it doesn't matter if you're a retailer or you're a, um, you know, designer or whatever. Anything you're developing a product, cash flow is always a problem. I mean, I think it's important to sort of people to realize that there are choices to make. And it doesn't matter that I'm manufacturing dog containment products or they're doing a sweater. The reality is that if any of us chose to go service-based instead, this would be less of an issue. And, and for me, like, okay, I know that that problem will, will exist and any investor I bring on, I have to think about them as being a partner, not just once, but, you know, I'll probably go back to a, a, a funding around again, but more so what I'd like to do if I need more cash is to go to a bank and I already have a bank lined up to ask for a business loan based on a purchase order that I have from a ret- retailer. You know, if if you read any of the great books or biographies by fashion designers, like um, uh, Let My People Surf from the. uh, Let My People Go
1: Surfing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or the Nike one, you know, um, or the one from Sarah Blakely, you know, they all talk about cash flow as being the biggest challenge out of any fashion designing product line.
1: But just think of, my, think of my fashion business owners. They are mostly coming from a design background.
0: But, you know, the funny thing is when you talk to IT people, they are the same way. Yeah, so you think, you think it's a fashion issue, but it's not. You talk to coders, like programmers and stuff, and they believe that they have the most amazing app ever. And then you talk to them about, okay, when are you going to start promoting it? And, and they'll go, well, aren't we going to hire someone to do that? you know, it's like, but, but you're the founder, you got to be the, the head promoter. And, and they said, but, but I don't want to do that. I just want to code. Well, it's like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You know, when you're, when you're in business, you are the the top dog and the scapegoat. you know, yeah, you get yeah. all the glory and all the blame when things go right or wrong. And when it comes to promoting your business, no one's gonna promote it as well as you do. So if yeah. you do not believe in your business enough to be the head promoter, then you better have a very good partner that's willing to do it for you. If you think an employee is gonna do it, you're absolutely wrong because they can never be as good of a salesperson as you will be. And I guess for me, I, I take that for granted because I'm not a designer, I'm not a expert, I'm a, I'm a sales and marketing person.
1: Um, now, I would like to talk about. I mean, I would like you to to talk about your podcast because you you mentioned it before, and you have a very interesting podcast uh, that you started in in fall for us, but it's in spring for you because you're in Australia.
0: Yes, it's spring in uh, September. So September, we just uh, I launched it. I think in the middle, some somewhere in September, I launched the podcast, and. You know, they always say when you start a podcast, you need to kind of think about who your audience is. Mm-hmm. I I had probably a different purpose in starting my podcast, which was not so much, it's probably a bit selfish to say it, it wasn't so much about the listener, even though I'm obviously very concerned about the listener, but I didn't have the listener in mind when I started the podcast. What I had in mind was that I'm in a new industry and I wanted a good reason to have good, solid conversations with people in the industry to help me learn, to help me grow, and just to expand my own knowledge. And while people kept on saying, oh, you should talk to so-and-so about your business and this person and that person, it always felt really selfish to me to not be able to give them anything back and to ask for an hour of their time. And so I thought to myself, if I offered my podcast as an avenue to promote their business by sharing their story, then maybe they'll give me an hour of their time. And, and mm. that's, that's really why I started it. And of course, if they're not proud of what we talk about, they're not going to share it. So the idea was I have to do a really good job on my podcast with this news network that I'm generating through the podcast by inviting people on that I don't know, but asking them about their story and how they started their business and why are they doing it and their purpose behind it. And it all has something to do with the plastics business in some form or fashion and and specifically we focus on the sustainability aspect so you know Hmm. i spoke to a manufacturer that's recently shifted to focusing more on recycled plastic but he didn't always do that you know i spoke to a cafe that was more about sustainable foods but they've shifted to try to incorporate all sorts of plastic um, reduction and and management processes to reduce their overall waste in a very short time and they had numbers to to back the kind of savings that they've done. And when we did that, we actually talked, we discovered also they have like this incredible retention rate with their employees because they see it, see it as a purpose-driven business, which is Hmm. unheard of in the restaurant business. So I have reached out to people that had something that they've done well and notable in the plastic space. It might not be their core business such as a cleaning service service, they had a service for cleaning cloth nappies or cloth diapers. And mm-hmm. and that wasn't their core business, but it was such an important part of their business that we had a really long, good conversation about that in particular. So for me, I was, I was being a little bit more selfish when I started the podcast. And I thought of my audience and my customer being the actual person I'm interviewing. My job is to try to promote them, their business in a very good way to make them shine. And from that process, hope that listeners are getting a great understanding of what they can do if they're in business or if they're thinking about business or within their own personal consumer habits in terms of what they can do to become part of the plastics revolution. And so that's why I started it, which I guess means that I'm never, And, you know, I'm not looking for a million followers on the podcast, although it would be nice if that happened. What I'm looking for are people that are interesting and they have stories to share and allows me to champion them. And from that process, I benefit by building my own network.
1: You're doing a great job, really, because I think that the listeners of Mindful Business Founder can be very interested in listening to Plastics Revolution podcast as well.
0: Thank you, Liki.
1: Now, you've worked across four continents and in diverse industry sectors. What are, according to your experience, to so your views, the challenges and opportunities for businesses to take part in the sustainability movement?
0: Well, I mean, if I go back and think about all the recommendations for my own guest, the number one they said is keep recycling. So even mm-hmm. though there's a lot of skepticism about the recycling pathway right now, as industry is trying to catch up to the inability to export plastic to China and other countries, the number one thing was keep recycling. Otherwise, all these plants are going to go under. Two was, yeah, think about reduction first. We, we, we don't think about that very often but certainly reduction is a big deal certainly in the fashion industry i know there's been a lot of criticism
1: reduction in terms of consumption
0: consumption of use. use yeah mm-hmm. so as an example um you know taking your your reusable coffee cups in terms of fashion buying quality products that are going to last yeah. for more than one season um you know looking for things that can that are thinking about sustainable materials in the, you know, in the fashion industry itself, I, I don't know a lot about the fashion industry, but I've attended at least one conference related to this subject. And everything, even in my industry, has to do with good design at the very beginning. And if you think about how you're going to make a product, and you think about how you're going to source the materials, and you think about what the end of life of that product is going to be when it, when it comes to it, then you might design it in a totally different way then if all you care about is getting something out really quick and, and it, it falls apart after the third wash so that you can get another product out the door. So if people really wanna get behind a sustainable movement, then it's about you know making quality products and that the consumers are also Reciprocating and in the way that they're saying, I will buy your product. It might cost me three times more than the fast fashion, but I will buy your product because I know it's made out of sustainable materials, because you've told me so. I know that at the end of life, such as some of the great outdoor manufacturers like Patagonia and North Face and some of those companies that are, you know, mm-hmm. those companies are taking recyclable materials and they're putting it into the design at the very beginning and then they're thinking about what are we going to do at the end of the life of that product? And some of them, like Patagonia, has always been really good about taking products back and repairing them. Um, they just unveiled something recently about um, a line that they're saying, okay, we do sometimes get things back we can't just repair. What are we going to do with those? And so now they're making them into new products so that those materials that are still usable can be used for maybe a backpack or something else instead of for a jacket that might have some wear and tear. And they've created a whole secondary generation of clothing whether it's a reuse or repair or or um, you know repurpose before you even get to a recycle the material so I mean those are the things that I would say are are most important is to think about your entire life cycle of your product from a design perspective and design it so that it's going to have the least amount of impact to the environment
1: Actually, in one of the episodes of your podcast, there was this cafe place, um, this cafe uh, entrepreneur who said that he was very naive uh, when he first started off his business uh, because he planned so, so many things to, to so many problems he could tackle at the same time or solve so many issues. And so what could be the piece of advice for entrepreneur uh, who wants to launch a social enterprise? or a mission-driven company?
0: Well, same thing. I have to think about the entire life cycle. In my company, when, when I put together a set of sustainable values, it starts with, okay, first we source the product, and the raw materials we're thinking about specifically have to be recycled material, recycled plastic specifically. And ideally, if we can get it done in Australia, out of Australian recycled plastic, then that would reduce the carbon footprint too. Okay. Hmm. From there, we're thinking about, okay, where's the distribution location? I know where the manufacturer is, where's the distribution center? If I can get it as close as possible to the manufacturer, I reduce my carbon footprint. Now, my manufacturer is in Brisbane. I'm based in Canberra, so I have to fly to get there, so I offset my flying through carbon offsets when I do so. When we talked about packaging, I spoke specifically to my manufacturer, and I said, look, we can't have a recycled product that we're, you know, touting all these great sustainable (laughs) goals. And then from a packaging perspective, you know, wrap it up in all this plastic. And he said, well, you know, we got to do something otherwise it's going to scratch. I said, well, why can't we use recyclable paper? he's like, Oh yeah, I guess we could do that. And so the only thing that we can't get made from a recyclable material is the strapping tape for um, packaging, but everything else that, you know, we said, I said, you know, if you have to put some little screws and bolts in there for, for people to put things together, why can't we put that in a little paper box instead of plastic? Yeah, oh, yeah, we could do that. So everything from the raw materials for the individual product, where is it actually being made, where the distribution center is going to be so that it's as close as possible and we don't add additional transportation cost and emissions by doing that. My travel in particular um, to offset credits where we can. And were possible even in some of the silly things that we're doing like when we did the launch I needed to create a display for my um to show how the product actually worked that that extravagant pet gate we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and what I did is I went down to the recyclable center and I just bought an old door and then I had Mm -hmm. a carpenter weld this thing together in such a way that we can use it as the display. So it was it was going all the way back to can we can we repurpose something before we buy it? Can we um, buy something used that's just gonna go into the rubbish or, or tip if we don't take it out. You know, what can we do to reduce the impact to the environment? By using a used door that actually caused all sorts of headaches because I didn't realize how this old door was made until we cut it open but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking backwards I probably would have done that differently because it certainly didn't save any money it was more about the fact that this is one door that had a second life it would not have had that second life have we not
1: it's not always about the money
0: no and we we're trying to to be really sustainable about that so even the paint that we used for the display knowing it wasn't going to be outside I purposely got a water-based paint to use it so that you know, when it dissolves into the ground, it's not, not going to be as hazardous to the ground. So all these different things that you can do if you think about it from an environmentally conscious point of view, it, it can be done differently. And while it might take a little bit more time and sometimes a few headaches when you do it that way, at the end of the day, once you get a good process in place, you realize, you know, it wasn't that hard for me to substitute a paper packaging Um substitute for what they would have put a ton of plastic around one product it wasn't that it actually didn't cost any more either so it's just about trying to be intentional and um, strategic when you're going through the process of saying is there a better alternative that's better for the environment
1: what are your dreams for the refoundry and with the refoundry, the dreams yet in the world that you could accomplish with the refoundry. So there's, there's two questions, actually.
0: So what are my plans for the refoundry? What are my No, dreams, the
1: dreams, the-, the dreams. What are your dreams for the refoundry? And what are your dreams with the refoundry?
0: Okay, two different questions. It seems like the same question to me, but okay, I'll try to answer. What I'd really like to see is the refoundry to purposely created demand for recycled plastic so less of it goes into the rubbish bin which means that we would have multiple lines of products all using recycled plastic preferably from australia so that we can get it as close to the source as possible and from there i'd like to go ahead and expand that business to repeat that model in the u.s where i'm originally from because i think the u.s has a lot more issues their recycling process from all conversations I've had over there is just falling over right now. And they need to create more demand for recycled plastic, otherwise it really will just keep going into landfill. So that is what I'd like to see. And that that company, I actually called it the refoundry because I saw it as a location rather than um just a company name. And what I can see it doing is kind of becoming a bit of a a I guess the venture capitalist Model in itself, where it can invest in other people's ideas as well. Where mm. we might have our own product ideas, but there might be people with ideas, and they don't know the process that we've had to spend so much time and energy to go through. And they don't have sources of manufacturing. They don't understand what can be, what can be done through injection molding versus a extrusion molding or through um, a different type of process of plastic manufacturing. They don't know who the people are. But I can see us trying to be a hub that allows other people's ideas to do the same thing but with all the same mission of being a um, driving a demand for recycled plastic so less of it goes into the landfill and then Hmm. um, but like i said taking that over to the united states which i think needs it even more so than here in australia which is a little bit better from a recycling perspective and then the dreams with the refoundry I, i guess you're asking about personal dreams is that what you
1: yeah, personal dreams and your dreams for the world with the refoundry.
0: Uh, look, I want us to be a good example and a champion for being good stewards of, the, of our resources. Plastic mm-hmm. is a resource. It's a petrochemical that is not renewable. And there's money was spent to get it to the form of plastic, and actually a lot of money. And the minute that we put in the bin, it's actually worth a lot less not because it's still an unusable product. It's actually still very usable. It's just because it's in the wrong place. And so by creating a demand for for recyclable materials, specifically plastic, I hope that people start to see the value in that product and they could see it as something that you don't want to throw away because it's worth money. And it's it's something that we can't just make more of over time. It's it's going to be harder and harder to do as there's less oil being found and that they treat it like it's actually money they just saw on the ground rather than, uh, you know, something to throw away without any further thought.
1: Thank you so much, Tammy, for this conversation. It's fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your experience with um, the listeners of Mindful Business Founder. Now, if people want to keep carry on with this conversation, where people can find you and where can they connect with you or where can they buy your products?
0: Yep. So the products are not quite yet available yet, but hopefully they will be. So they can look for the ReFoundry Australia, and that will give you information about the company. I'm on most of the major um, social media networks. So that's T-V-E-N-D-A-N-G-E. At whatever. Uh, that might be LinkedIn or Instagram or um, uh, Twitter. I'm on most of those. The company, I have either that or the brand Strain No More is also available. They all are different brands that I manage. Um, but if you want to hear about the podcast, then just go to plasticsrevolution.com okay. and that will take you to my blog that has all the po- podcasts with the transcripts and yeah sorry you the cat you're my cat <laughs> so you can tell i'm an animal lover my cat's right here next to me um so yeah plasticsrevolution.com refoundry.com.au, or my first initial last name for just about any social media site
1: okay thank you um i'll let you go back to a cat <laughs> thank you so much Tammy. <laughs> What really resonated with me in learning from TAMI is that we need to incorporate sustainability principles in the design of a product and consider the whole life cycle of the product and take into account the footprint at every step of the way. So my call to action to you today is to start by taking one of your best selling products and see how you could improve the footprint of this product. Is there anything you can reduce? Reuse? How can you make this product more durable and improve the design to make it more timeless? As usual, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at podcasts at Thanks for listening and talk to you soon you like this episode if you enjoyed listening to mindful business founder it will mean a lot to me if you can share this with your friends who are also in their sustainability journey you can also subscribe and leave a review on itunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms bye bye now